Hello, Northern California. Business Buzz. This is your host, Harold Littlejohn. I'm so glad to be here. I've got a really entertaining show for you today. I hope you can stick around for the whole thing. You're going to learn a lot. I had a lot of fun putting it together. On the next show, I've got a really exciting guest, not today, but on the next one, and he's a classic example of mixing work with pleasure, and I'll, I'm going to save that for a surprise for you next time. But today, I've got just tons of great information for you. We're going to talk, we're going to talk economy, stocks, taxes, and the Bible. So we're going to cover pretty much everything. All the way around. So let's just get right into it. An amazing article today from my favorite assembly of news items, which is called ZeroHedge.com. I read it every day. I encourage you to uh, replace your CNN or Fox.com spot on your tablet with this one, Zero Hedge. You'll get better news a little faster. So my first article today that I want to share with you is called Young Facebook Users Less Engaged as Demographic Time Bomb Looms. Well, why do I care about Facebook? I'm not a teenager. It is useful for that you can do advertising through Facebook. You can like have a group of people who meet once a week and they can use the Facebook page. It's a great medium to get things done. I, I don't have a problem with it. My problem with Facebook is that it makes up one of the top stocks in our NASDAQ index that causes the stock market to look like it's in some gigantic positive mode because Facebook is one of those stocks that just has gone out of sight price-wise. It's being bought up. We'll talk a little later about who's buying it up, but it's part of the whole it's part of the whole image that you probably have thinking that the economy's in good shape. So let me just get into a little bit of this article. It's very short, but it's very, very interesting based on what's happening here. While Mark Zuckerberg is busy espousing virtues on universal basic incomes, the deep divide in America, free speech control, and what being president means. In fact, by the way, I believe he's looking at running for president in 2020. His billion-dollar baby social network may have a problem. Now, here's the meat of this whole article. This year, the world's largest social network will see a decline among teen users in the U.S., according to a forecast by eMarketer. It's the first time the research company has predicted a fall in Facebook usage for any age group. Vanity Fair notes that for years, Facebook has faced a lingering problem with one of its core constituencies. Teenagers, the most fickle tech demographic, don't think it's cool. Facebook, to its credit, saw the phenomenon coming, acknowledged that teens were logging off in growing numbers. For a company that relies in part on converting young adoptees into lifetime users, a teen exodus could create a demographic time bomb. Now, why do I think this is important? Well, if you recall, my son is 24, so when all this internet things were happening, he was a young guy in the late 90s and the early 2000s, and he was online. Of course, we had his computer in the living room, so there wasn't anything strange going on behind closed doors, which I kind of recommend for everybody with small kids. But what I do recall is a website called MySpace, which I believe was a Microsoft baby, and it was the place where all the young kids were going for their, sort of like Facebook is today, it was called MySpace. The only reason I bring that up is that MySpace virtually disappeared. And I have a chart here on this article where MySpace peaked. And then about, it looks like on this chart, about a year later, it was virtually not 
being looked at. And, and as far as I know, MySpace doesn't even exist. If it does, nobody uses it. So my point to all this is that one of the key stocks that you'll hear mentioned on CNBC that makes up the NASDAQ 100 index that everybody touts as doing so well, one of those key stocks is Facebook. And it looks to me like things could be changing. And once once the popularity among young people, like this article saying, starts to wane, uh, so will the business of Facebook and so will all the people on it. I think there's statistics where like a billion people a day visit Facebook. Well, what if that was only 500 million in another year or two? What does that mean? So it's just another warning. I'm, I'm kind of big on the warnings. I don't like to be a, a real negative person, but when you're talking, uh, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars propping up this stock market, you have to worry when some of the major legs of the table could theoretically end up being a lot less solid than they seem to be now. So I've been harping about the fact that the market and the economy is not what it's projected to be. And I wanted to talk about the thing called money velocity. Every time there's a dollar spent, that dollar needs to be turned over numerous times. So if you take a measurement of, okay, the whole year of 2016, all of the dollar transactions in our country, and you divide that by the total number of dollars that are out there, you get a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you get a measure called money velocity. And what's interesting these days that you really don't hear about is that money velocity is the lowest since the 1930s. And what I'm, what I'm trying to point out is that all of this money stimulus and printing that has happened since 2008 has not increased the velocity of money. Now, that ties into another gauge that you can look up yourself. I'm, I'm going to direct you of how to look that up. There's a website called the Association of American Railroads. And what I find real interesting about this is what could possibly be, I mean, I'm sure there's a few other good ones, maybe like gallons of gas purchased, but what could possibly be a better indicator of the state of our American economy than the number of rail traffic miles going all over the place across our, our wonderful land from sea to shining sea? That should be a really good gauge. So if you're listening to CNBC and CNN and they keep telling you how great this economy is doing, you would probably expect that if you were to look up the freight rail traffic data at the aar.org website, you would probably see a chart with a big line heading up to the right, which means freight rail traffic is up. Guess what? If you have a computer, you need to look at this. Go to aar.org slash pages slash freight dash rail dash traffic dash dash data. Well, it won't be hard to find. It is a big, terrible downtrend to the right. Just goes almost straight down. Then it did bump up a little in the last week or two. What I'm trying to say is this is another measure of the economy that's publicly available that nobody talks to you about. So what I'm here to do on Business Buzz is to educate you. If it happens to be a bit negative, it's only negative in the fact that if this economy's negative, you can make it a positive by being aware of what's going on. And that's my contention. That's why I bring these things up. Now, my other topic in the first segment here, and I've covered this before, I'm going to keep hammering on it because it's important to realize this, is Donald Trump says fake news. Well, at least he used to. I haven't heard him lately. Donald Trump says fake news. I say fake markets. 
there's a lot of investment going on by governments buying stocks and bonds. There's an article today called, in zerohedge.com again, Norway government forces sovereign wealth fund to buy 100 billion more dollars in stocks, quote, to safeguard the country's riches. And this article, I'm just going to read a few key sentences here. The Norwegian government ordered its sovereign wealth fund to increase its equity allocation to 70% to try and paper over what's expected to be a 70 billion kroner, which is $11 billion drawdown, the first in the fund's history. So here we have a country that's sovereign wealth fund is declining. That money was needed to plug a budget hole created by falling oil prices. Aha. Remember, Norway is an oil producer, and oil is going nowhere. It's trying to get over $50 on a steady basis. It can't seem to do it. So it says falling oil prices, and it seems the brilliant minds at the Norwegian Ministry of Finance figured they could easily recoup the fund's losses by upping its risk exposure. Now, isn't that sort of, that's kind of crazy. Indeed, they've already raised the fund's expected average annual real return to 2.5% in over 10 years compared with 2.1% previously. Anyway, uh, it's still planning to make the shift, which would result in it buying about $100 billion in global stocks though prices have risen considerably in the interim. Despite the fund's rush to raise its 10-year earnings forecast, fund officials said worries about a near-term market slump played little part in their investing plans. So here we have a, think about this, the sovereign fund of a nation, which is Norway, which is Northern European, it's not a humongous economy, but it's, it's pretty big, and they are going to be 70% invested in stocks. Now, you know, what let's just say let's just say that the stock market does crash to a 50% loss like it did 9 years ago in 2008 and 2009. Well, then what kind of deficits are these people going to be running if they're already in deficit mode with a record stock market? What's going to happen when that market turns around? And uh, I'm, I don't want to scare anybody, but I think everybody needs to realize that these markets are not, they're not real. They're being bought by governments, by central banks. Uh, I have another article. I don't think I'm going to have time to get into it completely, but I'll just give you a quick uh, gist of it. The title is The Truman Show Markets. And if anybody's familiar with the movie The Truman Show, then you'll understand what, what we're talking about here. Truman Show is basically about a guy who finds out in middle age that his entire life has been a stage and he's been part of like a TV show. So that's what The Truman Show is all about. And this article has an interesting table. 65% of all 10-year Treasury obligations, no, I'm sorry, of all Treasury obligations longer than one year, which is two years and up, 65% are owned by the Federal Reserve plus foreign countries. 65%. So when you think about the market and a bond market, which is huge, and when your broker says, oh, I've, I've got you 50% in bonds, you're safe, just remember that Two-thirds of those bonds are being bought by non-investors. They're being bought by our Federal Reserve and foreign governments. Now, 81% of all those bonds are owned by the Federal Reserve plus all foreign holders. So foreign people are buying these, but I don't think a lot of domestic American people are buying these. And these numbers prove that. What's interesting is that if you're in Europe right now, let's say you're in the Netherlands, if you want to buy 
a Dutch government bond, it has a negative interest rate. In other words, you will pay 0.5% just to own that bond, just to have the safety of knowing you might get your money back. You will pay a rate like a fee. You will not earn interest. So what's happening, in my opinion, based on these numbers from this article about the Truman Show markets, is that foreign people are buying United States bonds a lot more than Americans because they're earning that 2.3%, and that's good compared to negative 0.5. So this is Harold Littlejohn. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to get down to the brass tacks of taxes. Stay tuned. What do you think about when you hear the word temptation? Here's David Hawking with some thoughts for us on this. The number one thing people think about when you talk about temptation is sexual matters. First thing comes to their mind. But my friends, if that's all, you're in for a rude awakening. We have more about the temptations we all face this week on Hope for Today. Join us. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. Keyboard Cat, Hamilton the Pug, and Toast Meets World. These are some of the Internet's most beloved pets, and they all have one thing in common. Their stories started in a shelter. Start your story. Adopt a dog or cat today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Training that pet to play the keyboard, that's optional. Start a story. Adopt a shelter or rescue pet today. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is James McDonald, Bible teacher on Walk in the Word. You know, every day we receive emails and letters from listeners just like you, men and women who have been impacted by Christian radio. I got to ask you, have you taken the time to call your radio station lately? Whatever you're doing right now, just stop and pick up the phone. Your station needs to hear from you and know that you're standing with them. I can guarantee that your words of encouragement and financial support will strengthen this station long after your call's been made. Business Buzz is back. We're going to talk taxes. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, your host. I had a great discussion today. Here's the thing that's really interesting. When you're in business and if you're self-employed, even if you're an employee, this this still would apply. But being self-employed is especially difficult tax-wise because nobody's withholding taxes from you on your pay and it's up to you to, to pay, prepay the correct amount. And uh, that, that works out. Uh, you know, it's fine if you can keep up. If you get behind, it's a little funny. One of the type of businesses that end up having trouble is someone like a place like a contractor who might be seasonal. And he has a real good year. But then the economy goes down. And by the time April comes, when he's filing his taxes for the previous year, where he did make money, of course, when you make money, you generate a tax liability. I always tell people who owe a lot of tax, unless it's a real bad seasonal situation, I tell them, hey, I, if I were you, I'd be kind of happy. You only owe tax when you make profits. So, you know, it's not always a bad thing to owe some tax. Here's the, what we're going to talk about today. When you're self-employed and if your income is fluctuating, you're going to you may have come to a point in time where you owe taxes and you really don't have the money. As an experienced tax preparation person who's been doing this for over 30 years with lots of different clients, I have some basic recommendations that are, should be very helpful. The first thing is, as long as you, let's say it's April, you've kind of put everything together but you're not sure you have it all done yet, but you feel like you have to file by April 15th, there's a thing available called an extension. Some people have a fear of an extension. I think that's an irrational fear because extensions can do a lot of good things, but the main thing they do is this. If you are working on your taxes in April and you just don't have everything finished yet to do it correctly, 
you file an extension, and the trick money-wise is you guess how much you might owe, and if you can, you send that payment in with the extension. The nice thing is about 10 or, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, they started allowing you to pay in with an extension even though you can't pay the whole amount you think you owe. In the old days, if you came up and said, I think I owe 5000 you had to put that on the extension, but you also had to pay that amount. The nice thing is in the last 10 or 12 years or so, they've made it to where you can list the amount you think you owe on the extension, but you can pay a different amount. You can pay a lower amount. And that is helpful because it helps you to stay compliant as a timely filer. Here's the problem. You'll have somebody sitting there at their desk on April 14th calculating the fact that they made money the year before and now they owe $10,000 and they don't have the $10,000. It makes them want to sort of crawl in a hole, forget they even thought about it, and if they don't file the extension or file the tax return, they're now a late filer. And the really bad thing about being a late filer, in addition to the fact that that's what the IRS really hates, is that the penalties for the tax you still owe just jumped way up. Here's the difference. Let's say you've got a job and you're going to have that money, let's just say within two months of April 15th, but you don't have it right on April 15th. And let's say you owe $10,000. If you file an extension and you don't pay anything with the extension, you file the extension so you're legally not required to file it by then once you do the extension. The extension goes till October, but you're going to have this money by the middle of June. That $10,000, if you filed an extension, generates a penalty of one half of 1% per month. Now, that's separate from the interest, which applies to whether you file this on time, whether you file an extension or not, any tax you owe that you don't pay, you owe interest. Uh, It's a smaller amount, and we'll talk about that later. We're talking about the penalty here. So for $10,000, the penalty for being two months late, if you can send that in by June 14th, is 1% of $10,000. That's $100. So it's $50 a month, which is one half of 1% of $10,000 to send in the extension. You're still a legal guy that didn't file late. And when you send the money in June, the penalty for not having paid it in April is only, and I'll say only because that really isn't that super bad, it's $100. It's one half a percent per month times two months, which is 1%. My point of this is to educate you in the fact that let's say you just crawl in a hole, you get nervous, and you forget to file your extension. Now, not only have you not paid the tax by April 15th, you also are a late filer. Now, the penalty per month is 5% of the tax that you didn't pay because you're late filing. So instead of a $50 late payment penalty, when you did do an extension, you now have a $500 penalty per month. And if you file on June 14th and try to send in your money, now your penalties, instead of being $100, are $1,000. That's painful. Like I was saying before, in addition to the penalties, there's always interest. The interest is 4% annual on a daily basis. It's very low when you consider the fact that if you you decided to charge the $10,000 you owed on April 14th on a credit card, but your credit card was at 16% interest, that's four times higher than the interest the IRS would charge. You're going to pay the 4% interest no matter what, but your penalties would be huge if you don't file on time. So I am very, I'm very pro-extension at my office because here's, here's what will happen. I'll have a new client. It might be his first year of ever being self-employed. 
He's not familiar with what he needs to even do to get me the information to file his tax correctly. Let's say it's April 5th. I just met him, but he's paranoid because he thinks extensions are bad. Here's the choice. If I can get something done for him by April 15th, it's not going to be what should be done. It's not going to have the the diligence, the time spent, the calmness, sitting down, making sure we've got everything. It's going to be rushed. The same would go for him if he's sitting down trying to finish it. I'm talking about the advantage of an extension here. What I recommend in a case like this is I tell the new client, listen, I know you're not used to doing an extension, but you've never been self-employed before. There's a lot of things we can do to do this correctly, and you'll end up with a lower tax total. Let's do an extension. I will guesstimate in round numbers what you might owe right now. And if you have that money, we'll send it in with the extension. So you don't even get a late payment penalty. That is one of the main advantages of an extension. You have time to do it right. You send in the money anyway. Let's say he sends in $6,000, but he only owed five. Well, then he gets $1,000 back when we file. It's all there. It's not a problem. That is one of the good reasons why you would want to consider doing extensions instead of rushing through and trying to finish things. Here's another great example of a reason why an extension could be very helpful. Self-employed people have the option of putting away retirement money based on their net income. There's a thing called a self-employed IRA. And let's just say you make 50000 a year in your business. You have the option of setting up a very simple thing called a self-employed IRA that you can put $10,000 a year into and save tax on that $10,000. Here's the beauty of that. The $10,000 is due for the previous year's deduction by the due date of the return, including extensions. Now, if that doesn't make the perfect lead-in to the next segment, I don't know what does. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stick around. I'll be right back. Hi, it's Matt Four And Erica Smith. And you should join us every Friday for Chico Down Friday at 1230, 5 and 9 p.m. Why do you say, why should you join us? Because we like to have so much fun. We do. And we talk to people in the community, organizations and businesses. And we hope that you listen because we enjoy it. And we want you to be there because without you, we might as well be talking in a closet. <laughs> you are there, right? I am here <laughs> on KKXX 104.5 FM and 930 a.m. Sometimes insurance can be a confusing business. I can't stress enough the importance of having a single professional insurance agent to help make sense of all your personal and business insurance policies. You don't want to get caught without the right coverage. For all your insurance needs, trust Brad Jacobson, your local farmer's insurance agent. Call 891-7900 for a free consultation and a policy review. 891-7900 for Brad Jacobson, your local farmer's insurance agent. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. My name is Ruth Rusi, and this is how I live United. I read to children as part of United Way's education program. It helps them create links between language and literacy and prepares them for a better academic future. I figure I have the time and they have the need. My name is Ruth Rusi. I help kids prepare to succeed in school. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org, brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. 
Where was I? Oh, I know exactly where I was. I was talking about another great reason to use an extension when you're working with your income tax. And that is that if you choose to put money away in a plan like a self-employed IRA, as an example, you can put 20% of your net income away and save taxes on it for the prior year. So let's say it's April of 2017 and you're working on 2016, you can put the money in in April of that $10,000 and save the tax now. And it counts toward your 2016 deduction. Aha. But here you are in April. You can't even pay all of the tax you owe, let alone put that 10000 in for the self-employed IRA. And the calculation of your total tax is assuming you're going to do the 10000 which is a smart thing to do. You want to do it. Aha. The solution? File an extension. Now you pay the tax that you can. You now have until October 15th to put the $10,000 in your own self-employed IRA account. You're paying yourself first is what those are. So this is one of the main incentives for realizing that extensions can be very beneficial. In my business, we do most of the taxes do get done before April 15th, obviously. People who don't have reasons to extend, why, why extend? Just get it done, pay the tax, get your refund, whatever's happening, get it done on time. That's not a problem. But there's so many reasons that some people don't have everything together by April. If you go to a quality tax service like the one that I, my office offers, um, if you go to a place like that, they might not have time between April 5th and April 15th, like I was saying earlier, to properly do your tax totally perfectly to get you the lowest possible legal tax, which is the goal. Why not let them do an extension for you and then in May and June, you can sit down and really get it done correctly. So that's my big push on, I think extensions are great. It allows offices like mine and other CPAs to be able to do more than just a certain number that you can punch out by April 15th. It allows total quality work in May, June, July, and sometimes even August and September. So that's my little, that's my little tirade about extensions. They're not bad. Some people think they're bad. They're great. They help people. They get you the lower taxes. And my office will actually file your extension without any extra charge. And if uh, you're a new client, any time of year, I offer a free initial consultation. So if you are in any kind of tax trouble, you owe some, you don't know whether you owe, you're on an extension yourself, give me a call, 895-3353. I offer free initial consultation. You can also write me, herald at hlittlejohn.com, and I, I'll get back to you via email, but we can meet that way. So that'd be a great thing to do. Now, further along the lines of taxes and IRS, since we're on the subject, there's two other things I want to talk about. One of the problems I notice with clients that I'm meeting new clients all the time, and some of them actually have like a bunch of years they haven't filed. They got behind, uh, something bad happened, they got a divorce, uh, they lost their job. For whatever reason, they stopped filing and then they became afraid to file. So once they skip one year, they're afraid to file the next year because then they'll be like, oh, then I'm going to get in trouble for both and they're going to catch up with me. So what I'm seeing is I'm seeing people with six, seven, eight, even nine years of non-filing and now they're starting to get trouble from the state is writing them letters. They're garnishing wages. They're, they're giving them, the government's giving them a lot of trouble. My point of this is this, even if right now they're billing you for taxes you really don't owe, you can solve the problem by contacting me or someone like me, and there's a lots of different avenues. Here's the number one thing. A lot of times the state of California, if you didn't file, let's say your occupation is, uh, just say, let's say you're a plumber, and you didn't file 2008, they will send you a letter and say, okay, the average plumber made 60000 bucks. 
we're going to bill you for the tax on $60,000. We're not going to give you any deductions. Pay this 8000 bucks. That's the kind of letter the state sends. And normally this letter comes from the state before it comes from the federal, which is the IRS. It'll come from the state first. So the person who gets that, if they go ahead and get the 2008 tax return filed and it shows that they only owe $1,000, that entire $8,000 letter goes away because now you've filed, you were a non-filer before, now you file and you only owe 1000 If you can get these caught up, you're done. You don't have these phantom crazy balances. But my point is, let's say you do have 10 years behind and let's say that you owe $3,000 for each one of those 10 years and let's say your balance with penalties is now $30,000 plus 10. Let's just say it's $40,000. And I'm just throwing that number out as a round number. You, as long as you're filed, you have to have all the tax returns filed. What I was saying earlier is the IRS hates non-filers. If you filed and they see that you're trying to get it fixed, they will work with you. And I am by no means, I am by no means a pro-IRS, pro-income tax person. I feel that everybody should pay the lowest tax. I don't consciously work on the side of the IRS. I never have. But I respect the fact that in order to live a normal life, you need to file your return and you need to pay the taxes. They will work with you on what's called an installment agreement. And the formula is the amount of tax you owe, not the penalties, the amount of tax divided by 72. That would be a monthly payment they probably will accept. So let's say you owe $36,000 of tax. That divided by 72 is 500. For 500 a month, you can become legal with the IRS. And you can even set that up online. If the total balance is less than $50,000, you can probably set it up online. You don't even have to talk to a live agent on this. That's how much you can work with this. And I'm trying to tell people, if you have trouble, if you think you're in trouble, don't assume the trouble is so bad that you can't get help. People like me can help you. Other CPAs can help you. Contact the professional and get this under control if you owe them. Now, the installment agreement is the one method. Now, there's another method that's even cooler than the installment agreement if you can qualify for it, and it's called an offer in compromise. My main problem with these guys on television, and I've mentioned this before, there are 800 numbers you can call, and they will work with you on an offer in compromise. The problem is... They want a big prepayment down to them, like $2,500 check, and they're probably never going to give that $2,500 back. They're going to eat it up like an attorney. Has anybody ever gotten back an attorney's, uh, I can't remember the word they use. Uh, the, the, it's like a deposit when you hire an attorney. I would love to hear from anybody who's ever gotten some of that back because I don't think it ever comes back. That's the same thing with these offers. So I'm telling you right now, if you owe a lot of tax and the bottom line criteria for me is, do you not own a lot of real estate with a lot of equity? And do you not have a lot of current income over and above all your living expenses? If the answer to those two questions is, I don't have a lot of equity and I don't have a lot of disposable income, you very well may qualify to be accepted with what's called an offer in compromise. Here's how it works. I can speak from experience with the clients that I've helped with this. You'll have a business guy who was self-employed for a while, the economy turned down, and the business went way down, but he owed $20,000 in taxes and interest and penalties over a three or four year span of times where he didn't pay his, it wasn't able to pay his tax. We ended up in this one case We showed that this man, number one, didn't own his own home, didn't have equity in a home, and his income was low enough to where after he paid his rent, his groceries, and his child support and whatever else he had, he really had zero left over each month as disposable income. We sent in a 
it's a two-page form. You have to send a bunch of backup with it, but it was like a basically a two-page form plus a financial statement where you detail your monthly costs. And what I'm bragging about here, and other CPAs will have the same kind of success stories because these are real cool. For a 20000 or so balance that he owed the IRS, it was settled for $49. I didn't say $4,900. I didn't say $490. I said $49. And I remember the day I actually mailed his money order for him and got it all certified mail and trackable and all that. So it's just so nice to know that there are remedies if you happen to be somebody who, for whatever reason, and we don't judge at the business buzz, whatever reason, the reason if you owe taxes because you didn't file, sometimes it's because you had a divorce, you lost your job, uh, the economy turned down. 08 and 09 were brutal to a lot of local businesses. They were brutal to a lot of the contractors they, some of them had to just basically go out of business. A lot of them moved. I remember when a lot of people were moving to the Dakotas because there was a lot of jobs there, like the shale oil and all that. That's a whole other topic. I won't get off track there. Because with $50 oil, it's hard to justify all the expense it takes to make that shale into oil. So... Uh, with $50 oil, everything's just upside down. But if you owe the IRS, I encourage you to call me or some other professional and get some local help. I don't encourage you to call the 800 number on TV. They'll want a big chunk of money. You'll get impersonal service. It's not that they probably don't do a good job. They are enrolled agents and attorneys and CPAs. It's not that they won't do a good job, but I think you can get a better job locally, probably for less money. So why not do it that way? I'll be right back after the break. We're heading to the Bible. It seems like every day I'm asked about vitamin D in the sun. The main question being, how much sunlight do I need to expose myself to get an adequate level of vitamin D? So my answer is simply, use your head. Five or ten minutes in the sun is more than sufficient to create enough vitamin D to maintain good health. Maybe staying out in the sun all afternoon to get your vitamin D isn't the smartest thing in the world. It might not be a bad idea to talk to your primary care provider about getting a test to see how much vitamin D you have circulating in your body. That could tell them whether or not you might need supplementation orally, which is the American Academy of Dermatology's recommended way to supplement vitamin D. So while the professionals work out exactly how much vitamin D we need in our system, use common sense, protect if you need to, and consult your primary care physician if you think you might be deficient in vitamin D. I'm Dr. Paul Sabin, and that's the skin you're in. If you have skin care questions, make an appointment today with Dr. Paul Sabin of North Valley Dermatology. Call Dr. Paul Sabin today at 342-3686. Again, that's 342-3686. For an engine to start, quite a few things have to happen with split-second timing. Many things can happen perfectly, but if one small thing doesn't work, our radio station is much the same way. We can have all the right teaching and talk programs. We can be broadcasting to thousands. But if one crucial element is missing... It just doesn't work. That element is your financial support of our programs. Regular financial support and prayer support. We depend on it. With you standing behind us, everything will run just fine. You're listening to Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. We got our fourth quadrant here of the show remaining, and I'm turning to the Bible. And I don't mean that lightly, but to be honest, I've always had, I've always had a real conundrum in my mind with things like when bad things happen, how could God allow that to happen? 
How could a good person like me suffer like this? And that's always just been a real conundrum for me. I never, I mean, I didn't like devote my life to becoming a monk and figuring it out, but it's always been something that sort of bothered me. So about 10 years ago, when I started studying a book that some people kind of treat as anti-Christian, but I treat as very Christian. It's called A Course in Miracles. And I, what, what, what it does for me is it bridges the gap between my questions about how could an all-loving God have a world like this? This world is basically based on kill or be killed, dog eat dog, every man for himself, what's mine is mine and yours is mine too. Uh, Why do you have more than me? I'm going to take from you. What I'm trying to say is this world is not at its heart a real loving place. And no matter how things go, it ends up where everybody dies. So I understand that if you believe that heaven is waiting for you upon death, then why is suicide a sin? If you see where my logic is. Uh, You know, if we're all just going to be in heavenly clouds as soon as the body dies... Boy, that sounds pretty good to me, you know, at times. I mean, I'm not depressed. I enjoy life, but it's not a godly place that I'm in every day. Uh, I'm dealing with the IRS writing letters to clients of mine. I'm dealing with clients of mine uh, complaining about what I charged them. I mean, I'm just using examples of negative things that, that do happen. So my point with all this is that By my studying A Course in Miracles, which I was led to through other readings, I didn't just pick this up one day and find the answer. And I'm not saying I found the answer, but it offers a lot of good commentary that relates to some of the Bible things. And one of the things I wanted to bring up today, what I'm leading up to, is in Genesis 2.21, which is in the Old Testament, and... In 2.21, it says, and I'm sorry, I'm just uh, looking this up again. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Now, that line is right at the start of Genesis, but nowhere in the Old Testament does it later say that he woke up. Now, the interesting thing there is that if anybody has not ever looked at Course in Miracles, it's at least worth a look because it's helped me to reconcile some of these things that I just can't reconcile. And I can read all of the biblical things, and I still can't reconcile how this world can be such a testing ground if God created it. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the portion of this book that is from the chapter called The Origins of Separation. And it says, The Garden of Eden, or the pre-separation condition, was a state of mind in which nothing was needed. When Adam listened to the lies of the serpent, all he heard was untruth. You do not have to continue to believe what is not true unless you choose to do so. All that can literally disappear in the twinkling of an eye because it is merely a misperception. What is seen in dreams seems to be very real. Yet the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Adam and nowhere is there reference to his waking up. The world has not yet experienced any comprehensive reawakening or rebirth. 
Such a rebirth is impossible as long as you continue to project or miscreate. It still remains within you, however, to extend as God extended his spirit to you. In reality, this is your only choice because your free will was given you for your joy in creating the perfect. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit and go on a little bit, and then I'm going to talk about what this all kind of means to me. Only after the deep sleep fell upon Adam could he experience nightmares. If a light is suddenly turned on while someone is dreaming a fearful dream, he may initially interpret the light itself as part of his dream and be afraid of it. However, when he awakens, the light is correctly perceived as the release from the dream, which is then no longer accorded reality. This release does not depend on illusions. The knowledge that illuminates not only sets you free, but also shows you clearly that you are free. Now, the reason I bring this up is that, biblically speaking, I'm not a, I'm not a Bible expert, obviously. And this book has helped me to understand that when the world doesn't seem like God is here, the book sort of explains that we're here in order to learn to forgive each other, and that will take us back to a state of being at complete peace in heaven. So I know that sounds a little bit roundabout description, but I just want to talk about what it's meant to me. The actual book itself ends up saying that we as a group left heaven thinking that we could find something more. And when you read the story of the prodigal son, that's where the son leaves the father, goes around the world, and gets into a life of debauchery, loses all his money, comes back to the father expecting, not knowing what to expect, but figuring he might really be mad at him. But the punchline to that prodigal son story is that the father welcomes the son with open arms to come back. And that basically, this entire course, which is like, I don't know, twelve or 1,300 pages, it's huge, the entire course just basically helps you to say everything you see is more of a thought than a reality. And that's why you need to treat everybody you meet as if it was either your brother or the way I like to interpret it is, I treat it as it's, it's myself, that I'm talking to myself. And if you keep that in mind, that's why, that's another thing. The Bible and all the Bible lessons, it always mentions you got to forgive. Uh, remember the love your enemy, which means don't have any enemies. Well, it's kind of hard to do that in a world where your enemies are like blowing you up whenever they can. They're robbing your house whenever they can. They're killing people whenever they can. How do you turn the other cheek if you believe that this world is the end-all, be-all of our existence? To me, that doesn't make sense. But if you treat it as the course discusses it, then that whole thing about love your enemy totally makes sense. It's telling you that your mind is doing all this you're doing this to yourself. These people out there, I mean, if you blame Obama for troubles or you blame Trump for troubles or you blame Governor Brown or whatever, in the course's sense, what it's saying is those are not your, that's not the reason for your, and what the course always says is loss of peace. That's not the reason for your loss of peace. 
the reason for your loss of peace is you think these people are doing this to you, but in reality, your own thoughts are doing this to you. Now, this whole thing goes into so many different permutations. I've, I've been working on writing a book and trying to explain steps that you can take to help you through the day on this, but they help me a lot. But the secret to this whole thing is that once you, even whether you don't believe it, and I do always say when I'm teaching people, I say, you don't have to believe it, you just have to try it. Once you've tried this, you'll see that you actually do get a sense of peace inside when you start forgiving people. And so I always wondered, you know, why would Jesus want everybody to forgive everybody when they're slaughtering each other and killing people's family members and, you know, the, the disasters you see about on the news? Well, when you think of it in the, in the worldly sense, it's like almost impossible to forgive the junk that goes on. It's just, it's unforgivable. But once you've kind of turn this corner, and if you can, like I say, you don't have to believe it, you just have to try it. If you can try to get a handle and use small things at first, use, you know, your neighbor who's complaining about your sprinkler hitting the fence or something, you know, use something small and start the forgiveness process that way and see if it doesn't make you feel better. The other thing I've noticed is no matter what I think or no matter how I act, whether I forgive or not, uh, it just seems like my mind changes and it goes negative when I'm not forgiving, but it goes positive when I do. So the whole basis of this forgiveness thing, to me, the course actually makes it all make sense. So for me, it helps. Now, I'm not saying it's going to help you. What I'm saying is, this whole worldly analysis of God and our God is Jesus and their God is Muhammad. And, uh, you know, one guy says Jesus is the son of God. One guy says Jesus is just a prophet. I mean, that, to me, it starts getting to be nonsense. I mean, how many different opinions can we have? Is there a thousand different definitions of what Jesus was? What if I just decide not to care what Jesus actually was? What if I decide to listen to this course and just say he's an older brother who woke up before the rest of us and now he's back with this course to teach us how to, and here's the other thing, the goal of this course is not, you know, to solve the world at all. It doesn't mention anything about anything in the world. The goal of the course is, is peace of mind. So if, if I could teach you something that you don't have to share with anybody, you could, all, you could do it all in your own mind. If you were able to learn something that actually gave you peace of mind all day long, what more could you really ask for? That's just the way I'm looking at this thing. So I've been almost, well, it's been about nine years of solid studying this because I started with my main learning on this whole topic started with probably reading Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. And what, I, what I'm realizing from reading The Power of Now and then finding the course is that I think Eckhart found the course and turned it into his own theory using the time, space, things mentioned in the course and he took those and made what's probably the most widely read spiritual book of the last 30 years and that would be my guess he was actually mentioned in a po national poll as the most spiritual person in the country so he's based on the course i'm based on the course it helps me every day and if if i can help you i'll talk more about that later it's been great talking with you. I'll be back to the next show at 3 p.m. on Thursday. We're going to have a great local guest who's uh, been able to mix business and fun, and we're going to talk all about that. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. See you next time. KKXX, Paradise. K280GL.
Chico. And K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. Astronaut Bob the Drop here. There's been a lot of talk about water found on Mars. Why would you go all the way to Mars for water when we have the best tasting water at Mount Shasta? It comes from our protected springs and is delivered right to your door. Great planning, Bob. Hey, where are you going with that? Those Martians are stealing my water. Guess we have some new customers. And anyone can get Mount Shasta spring water if they call us at 1-800-922-6227. Your head simple. Naturally, the best Mount Shasta spring water. Chico Mobile AC Radiator and Auto Repair says, This coming fall season, please remember to drive with the three C's of safety. Caution, courtesy, and common sense. Please practice safe and sober driving at all times. Don't be responsible for an accident. This message is compliments of Bob at Chico Mobile AC Radiator and Auto Repair. They're specialists in auto electric system problems, including repairs and installation of alternators, generators, starters, electric windows, and locks. Chico Mobile AC Radiator and Auto Repair at 151 East Park Avenue is the place to rely on.